Mike, it's great to see you. Um, great to have this time to speak to you this morning. Um, you're a doctor with HEMS, and I just wanted you, if you could, to talk, for, and the fact that understates your, your background and your heritage and all the stuff you've achieved, because being a Canadian, I know there are some restrictions in working in the UK. Could you just give, you know, you've got an amazing career. Could you just tell us about that and who you are? Sure, thanks. And it's a pleasure to be joining you again for uh, another fantastic uh, extreme medicine uh, uh, output. Um, so my background actually started about, uh, well, sadly, over 30 years ago now in healthcare. Um, you could probably even go before that to growing up as a teenager, I was always keen to teach and uh, first aid instructor, CPR instructor, and involved in St. John Ambulance for, for years, a bit of a, a health geek. Uh, I went on to become a professional paramedic in Canada. That was uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and loved that job. It was, I think, one of the best jobs I've, uh, I've ever had in my, in my life. But there was a little bit of something that really actually came out during my training in uh, as a paramedic when I was in the hospitals doing our hospital placements that I kind of thought just sort of, you know, what if, um, you know, I could study medicine someday and what that would be like and more not wanting to be probably the age I am now uh, and looking back and having any regret for not having tried something. So what really sort of spurned my, my whole career path has just been curiosity and a desire to learn, a desire to uh, to keep discovering new things. So after working as a paramedic for a number of years, I went to university to study medicine at McMaster. Uh, so I was a little bit of an older, uh, slightly mature student at the time. From there, went into uh, from medicine, went into uh, internal medicine, and always with an interest in, in critical care, as well as uh, emergency preparedness for a long time. I think one of the things that's very apropos that really changed the, the direction of my uh, career path was uh, SARS back in 2003. I had just finished my, my training in medicine and was uh, about to qualify as a, as a consultant with an interest in, in critical care and uh, as well as at the time infectious diseases and, and HIV, which is a bit of an odd combination, but it was the emerging infection and, and the thought of a, a, at that point, there are very new diseases or new pathogens that come out in one's lifetime or career. And the interest around HIV and, uh, and this emerging infection and how it was impacting the world and the, uh, the rapid growth of knowledge around it was, was something I found fascinating. But uh, SARS struck, I got uh, very stuck in with that predominantly because of being one of the few people in the hospital with a background training in emergency management, having had this through my paramedic experience. And uh, from there was launched down a path of uh, uh, returning to do uh, uh, formal critical care training as well as an infectious disease fellowship. I, from there, uh, joined the military, spent a number of years in the Canadian forces uh, prior to uh, just coming to the UK uh, left the military as a full-time member to uh, be a reservist while I did an, an executive role in hospital around healthcare quality and uh, patient safety, and then had the opportunity to do my dream job, which was come to the UK before I got uh, too old to jump out of helicopters and run around and uh, work back in pre-hospital care. So a little bit of a full circle for me as a, as a HEMS physician. And what started off as a 
brief sabbatical has turned into three other jobs and uh, clinical lead in one of the counties and then now research and uh, quality lead in uh, uh, London's air ambulance. I think what's interesting and um, you know quite unique about your career is that pathway and this is something I think would be really good to explore in some more detail your pathway from St. John's Ambulance to paramedicine, to the position you're in now, to the positions you're undoubtedly go on to. Now that's quite a, quite a transition and quite a spread. In terms of where you are now, is your paramedic training, is that something you reference every, every day or is it something that is just something, or has it been superseded by your, your, your later experiences? I constantly tell um, junior doctors and residents when I'm training that, uh, you know, the most important things I know and, and the most uh, valuable lessons I learned were my days as a paramedic. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, a couple of things. One, the practical knowledge of some of the, the actual just very fundamentals of resuscitation uh, are things that I, I learned when I was in college and then relearned again a number of times. But there are certainly some ways that uh, that you're taught originally that you never unlearn, uh, but also just the resourcefulness and uh, and being and I think a lot of the skills around relating to people uh, and particularly listening and developing that uh, that uh, rapport with patients starts when you're in the field as a paramedic and and sometimes not having all the skills and and treatments available that you need, but you always have that potential to, to ask questions, ask good questions, comfort someone and provide care to them. It's interesting. The words you're using are very similar to the words that we use about um, expressing the value of extreme medicine as an adjunct to clinical training in terms of the leadership, the problem solving, the working in low resource environments, but also the interaction with your, your patient, with your casualty, with other team members. Now, there are going to be a number of paramedics who watch this, who have, have similar aspirations to yourself for, to transition into medicine and then into, into pre-hospital care or to uh, humanitarian medicine. At your paramedic level, you clearly you have the desire to do that further training and to become a doctor and a consultant. How did you, what things did you put in place to ensure that journey took place, that you got into medical school that when you got into medical school, you were adequately mentally prepared for the the change in paradigm. Yeah, so I think it was, uh, you know, it sounds so nicely planned <laughs> and uh, calculated now, but I think the reality of it was that it was a much more circuitous route. And I think the the key things for me, one is uh, is being ready for opportunity and being prepared to to take risks and to to do things that are a little bit challenging because I think yeah, many of those steps along the way were, uh, I know I, my, I remember leaving my career as a paramedic in Canada, you know, a, a government employee uh, in the uh, early nineties when there was a recession on uh, certainly back in Canada, it was hard economic times to leave a good secure job to, to go back to, to university for a bit of a, a flight of fancy because it was just going back to university to do an undergraduate degree before even getting to medicine. Uh, so there's that little bit of leap of faith. Uh, I think what always drove me was just the desire to uh, improve myself and the curiosity to learn. Uh, frankly, to be honest, when I 
got to the end of medical school, I was like, oh, I have to be a doctor now. Uh, because I had really actually my it was this hunger and thirst for the knowledge that that drove me to medical school. And I was really just curious. And, and the thought of, of having the privilege of studying medicine was really uh, what really drove me at that point. And then from there it was was how do I how do I move on? Um, so I think it's a combination of certainly working hard. I've always, you know, and still to this day feel that, you know, I need to to continue to push myself, continue to uh, put in a, an A-plus effort. And I think there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome for people thinking, you know, it's, uh, that, and particularly people that have come up through the ranks like this, such as, uh, you know, I, I, someone someday will figure out that this has all been a mistake. And, and that, that, uh, that letter of acceptance to medical school was really just um, a, a clerical error. But uh, uh, so there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that keeps driving you to perform and to, and to, do, to do better. There's a um, following your your interest and your passion for uh, for learning, and and being uh, willing to to take the uh, the odd leap of faith. I think is uh, is really what uh, sort of my key things that led me through this path. Much more than a specific planned route, and just to know that when one door closes, which you know definitely will do. I've a lot of the things I talk about and sometimes are, you know, we should have failure CVs and things like that. It's easy to look at a career like, like mine and, and think, Oh, it's, it's all been rosies. We talk about the successes, but we don't talk about, uh, talk about the failures as much as we should. And to know that when one door closes, oftentimes a door that opens will take you down a path, which takes you to places that are even better and, and more interesting than, than the sort of the very straight line route that you had initially uh, uh, planned for your life. So, Mike, what I'd really like to drill down into is your transition from paramedicine into medicine. Now, I know there are going to be people watching this that will have similar aspirations. Now, what would be your, what would be your, especially looking backwards now in terms of time in your position as a doctor consultant, what would be your top tips? So I think my top tips for a paramedic who wants to pursue a career in medicine is to first off uh, definitely go for it uh i think the don't underestimate or discount all the the resources and the and the strengths that you have because you're actually exceptionally well prepared to to go into the field of medicine and uh, and to study you have you know a demonstrated ability already achieving what you've achieved as a as a paramedic but also some of the key things in medicine and what society is looking for in physicians are those people that are lifelong learners, the people that have that ability to relate to patients and also the the practical knowledge of, of how to solve problems. And those are all skills that, that almost all paramedics have in spades. Uh, in addition to, of course, the technical knowledge and the, and the science and other sort of expanded areas of knowledge, which will, it's the, you know, the textbook stuff you'll gain in medical school, but you have a lot of the core uh, uh, qualities necessary to, to serve patients as a physician. Brilliant. And do you think the, you mentioned it earlier, your, um, the, ability to take up opportunities needs to be at the kind of forefront of people's minds if they want to do that transition. Yeah, I think, uh, so there's a quote that I wish I could remember, which is success favors the prepared mind or, or something along that sense. And I think that's the, the, the real key is 
is being ready to take opportunities when they present, uh, not necessarily having the hesitation before you take that leap of faith, but uh, but also not. I think a lot of people fail to see opportunities that are before them for internal reasons. Either it's an internal dialogue that some people have about uh, about their own confidence and ability to succeed, or sometimes, unfortunately, it's an external dialogue from colleagues and those around us that uh, that prevent people from from being willing to take those those leaps. So, I think obviously you don't jump into things that are completely irrational and and you need to have good judgment but uh, when good opportunities present be willing to take them is probably the the most important thing and you've mentioned it previously as well and i think it's it's an important thing to identify and and to bring out into the open is that imposter syndrome i mean clearly you (laughs) you should be way beyond that but the fact that you mentioned it means that it's sometimes at the back of your mind now i suspect if you're Again, a paramedic looking to transition into medicine, you might be carrying that with you. How have you overcome? How, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to to think about that because it, in some ways, I think is one of my biggest strengths because it drives my two things. It, it it drives my desire to continue to improve. It also, I think, leads to humility and and being humble, which I think are two qualities that are essential as a leader. Uh, but I'm shocked at how many people suffer from imposter syndrome. And even they actually did a little poll our first day of, of medical school, and they asked everybody in the class to put up their hand if they thought perhaps that uh, uh, that they may have ended up getting a letter or being told that day that um, that it was a clerical error. And about you know, 70% of the class put up their hands. So I think one of the things is recognizing that it's, it's something that's in a lot of people and uh, – and but you do have to overcome it because for some people, like any one of these sort of uh, psychological issues, it can be debilitating to the point of being harmful, or it can just be a little bit mild, which makes you just you know eccentric as opposed to uh, <laughs> um, actually ill. And that's and I think I think you're absolutely right. It's amazing that survey they did at the beginning of medical school, and I wonder actually if they'd redone that survey five, six, seven years later, whether there would have still been some remnant of people still feeling that they were imposters. Um, so it's a fascinating thing to sort of shine, shine some light on, actually. Yeah, and I think it's just to touch on that. And I, in my, this is again a completely biased view, and and comes back to my sort of my perspectives on leadership. I think you would probably find some of those people that had gone on to to lose that imposter syndrome and actually go the other way and become overconfident and and more towards the cocky and arrogant. But I would hazard a guess that those are the people that uh, that in the long term in their career probably aren't going to perform as well and end up being the ones who who you know don't make the excellent leaders and are the ones who end up stagnating in their careers because they don't have that continued that drive to to improve and and that healthy respect which we talk about in high high resiliency organizations that you know that healthy respect for failure and uh, and for being wrong i think it's certainly if you're going to put your head above the parapet then then failure is going to be part of the journey isn't it for everybody depending doesn't matter who you are um i just want to jump topics if you don't mind and yep. um Re and focus on your the bit in your CV about the the SARS and I don't want to talk about COVID too much but what would be interesting to 
to to get from you is that the things that you learned in the SARS outbreak that you brought to the COVID outbreak, which in turn you'll take on to the the, the next outbreak. You know, could you sum that up? Sum that up in a couple of points. Yeah, so there is a lot of deja vu over the past uh, few months as I watched COVID literally unfold around the world. From SARS, one of the things that uh, and that's influenced my career ever since is just uh, a heightened awareness of these things. And so, you know, I'm certainly the type of person that's always watched ProMed and and you keep your eye out for these things developing and and then part of that that network around the world where we uh, discuss these issues as they're developing. So this COVID caught my attention early. I think the lessons that I learned are a respect the virus um, and understand the impact that these things can have. The understanding that uh, the systems and societies, despite all the work that we've done over the last few decades are probably not as prepared as they need to be. And that this would be a bit of an evolution and unfortunately, some of these lessons, I think, systems have to learn firsthand. And so we've seen that happen, but on a global scale now, uh, sometimes with good effect and uh, sometimes with some certainly some tragedies. The impact of this on people, uh, particularly providers, I think was one of the things that uh, was a lesson I certainly learned from SARS and uh, you know saw a number of things during SARS around the tragedies that happen even in the lives of of providers who don't even become ill but uh, are suffering from things like being in quarantine and isolation and not able to see family and friends and missing critical life events such as you know being able to be with a spouse or a parent when they died because you're um, isolated having been exposed and, and things like that that the impact that that has on people. And we've been seeing that in uh, so much now with, um, with COVID. So how to prepare that, how to support teams and how to look after people, I think is, is one of the, the key lessons that uh, I've transferred from SARS to this. And now I'm learning even more. So hopefully in the future, we'll be even better at it. And we've been really appreciative of the, of the output that, um, that you produced around that you had a paper re- published recently do you want to exp- uh, just give a, a plug for that so yeah we so uh, working with colleagues uh, matt walton who i've done a, a, a fair amount of work with uh, around resilience and the uh, and helping teams deal with the psychological stressors of, of the type of work that we do as well as esther murray who's a, a health psychologist who's done a lot of uh, research and work in this area particularly around moral injury, we put together a paper about supporting healthcare workers and the, um, their mental health needs in particular during uh, periods of, of during the COVID outbreak. Uh, and it's been uh, very successful. A number of comments we've had about it have, have been, you know, pretty much universally positive, but in particular that it, what's in there are very practical tips, not just for healthcare workers, but it can be applied to many different fields. So I think uh, that was an opportunity, A, to give back to the community, both in terms of mentoring Matt and, and helping him pursue his, his areas of interest, but also to provide some practical tips for, for uh, people and organizations, whether they're frontline through to leaders of those organizations. 
do you think it's um, an important part of your role now as a senior clinician to to mentor people like Matt and to leave an enduring legacy? Absolutely. I think I look back and I've had some fantastic mentors in in my career, uh, particularly actually starting back in SARS in 2003, a physician named Don Lowe, who was, was internationally renowned and unfortunately died a few years ago of a, of a brain tumor, the way they took me under their wing and that they gave me opportunities and uh, helped my uh, career flourish, it, I look now at this as my turn to, to pay that forward to the next generation and to, I've worked with a number of people in this uh, current outbreak to, to help them develop the skills and and be that next generation of, of leaders. And I know this is a, I know the answer to this question already, but I'll ask it anyway, so that people are aware. I know that paramedics watching this will, will might want to reach out to you. And I, and on request, um, we'd be happy to provide your email. I assume that your answer to that is yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and I'm putting you on the, on the spot there. But um, so anybody that would like to get to talk to you about transferring from medicine to, to the career that you have, then please feel free to, to contact WEM and we'll, um, we'll pass your, your contact details on. Actually, that reminds me, and I hadn't realised it until we spoke uh, last week, that the reason you're at London HEMS, and I'm saying this not to shout out our own conference, but it's going back to that taking up of opportunities that the reason you're at London Hems is because you attended uh, the WEM conference. Yeah. So back, um, we were trying to figure out the year the other day, but I think it's, it's probably close to just shy of 10 years ago or eight years ago that uh, I was a, a, a physician who had been you know, in the military for a number of years, been off, uh, had been doing pre-hospital work in Canada as, as, as well as an intensive care consultant. And to have to be to, to be uh, sort of completely open was a little bit on that, getting a little bit uh, uh, burnt out and, um, and jaded in terms of my perspective on, on career and life and some other things. And I happened to go to a WEM conference when I was here in, in London, uh, visiting family and, and uh, had another meeting here, I think, and just literally happened upon the pre-hospital care conference they were having as a, as a part of the WEM conference, which was fit very well with the work that I did. And I had an experience there where I first off watching the whole conference and seeing the, uh, the level of rigor that London's air ambulance has in all of its programs and its philosophy that underpins the organization. But in particular, seeing uh, and meeting that day a thoracotomy survivor from a, a young man who is, uh, had six months ago, six months prior to that, had been stabbed in the left ventricle, was uh, dead on scene and had a thoracotomy and then was then sitting next to me uh, having a conversation that day, having just finished uh, the first uh, semester of his engineering degree was completely eye-opening to me about the possibilities and that was the moment I decided I have to do what I can to come and, and try and, and uh, work with this organization to learn from them and uh, and you know actually truly uh, walk the talk of, of what I've been teaching for many years back home around high performance teams and teamwork and and high reliability organizations. 
And Mike, I think it sums the interview up beautifully, doesn't it? It's about, I'm not shouting out, of course, too much about the world's best medical conference, but it's about opening your mind to new opportunities, taking them, and then, and then importantly, then acting upon them and not allowing your prejudices or your imposter syndrome or the, the, the weight of everyday life from holding you back from, from taking those opportunities up. Yeah, I totally agree. It's uh, and I think there were many parallels with the, what Wem was doing and the extreme medicine that with my career and with the areas of interest that I've had, I've, I've, if I sum up what I do in terms of, of my interest in critical care, it's always been in, in either an austere critical care uh, either in, in environments outside of the normal. So whether it's been in the military or the pre-hospital setting, or even just on the wards of hospitals, taking the ICU with critical care outreach teams, uh, it's been about performing these skills in environments which are technically challenging and limited. And I think that really translates to so much of, of what you teach in, in the extreme medicine courses and in WEM. And there's those threads that run through um, all this uh, approach to medicine, which are similar and transferable uh, back into what would be sort of more normal clinical practice. Thank you for that, Mike. And, and thank you for your time today. It's been brilliant seeing you mentoring um, some of the, the next generation of, of clinicians coming up through the ranks. It's really been fascinating to hear more detail about your your career but also your philosophy to life which i think is is a great illustrative um pathway for for so many people who might be just wavering on the brink about taking what is a major and, and life-changing decision so thank you for, for taking time out of your busy career and thank you for you know um shining light on the pathway but also helping the next generation who are coming up behind you oh thanks so much for having me today Thanks, Mike.